0: Hi, Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. And this is our 350th episode, so if you've been listening from the very beginning, thank you so much. This podcast is the thing I enjoy doing the most, and it's given me an entirely new perspective on not just what I do, but on what makes people love art and make their own. And to mark the occasion, I thought we'd do something a little different. My guest this week is Cameron Gibson, who's one of the lead magicians at Jamie Allen's Illusionarium, a new experiential magic exhibit that offers an immersive journey through the evolution of magic using 3D projections, lifelike holograms, and live magicians, all in a socially distanced setting. It opens in the Toronto Star Building at 1 Young Street this Thursday, July 29th. Cameron picked The Prestige, Christopher Nolan's 2006 tale of two magicians, played by Christian Bale and Hugh Jackman, whose partnership turns to rivalry after a tragic accident, leaving them determined to outdo one another's greatest accomplishments at any cost. Made on the heels of Nolan's Batman Begins with much of the same creative team, it's a lavish costume drama that now plays like a prophecy for the rest of
1: Nolan's career. I think I mean that in a good way. This is someone else's movie. Cool. So yeah, um, the Prestige. Uh, I am actually a, a professional magician. My, my name's Cameron Gibson. I'm a professional magician. So I thought, what better movie to to talk about on a, a podcast about movies than a movie about about magic? So yeah, simple as that, really.
0: Yeah, but is it magic? Is it science? It's the the back and forth throughout the whole movie that I think is the reason people still, you know, love it so much. Is that it? It's Christopher Nolan doing his cold cerebral thing. But wrapping it in a story where you really are encouraged to, to wonder over and over and over again what exactly is going on.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think the um, the kind of parallels with 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 magic and and, and the science themes that go throughout it, and uh, and also the magic and, and cinema as well have a kind of rich history uh, with each other. Um, I think it's David Devant who is like the the creator of the magic circle in london was one of the kind of pi- pioneers of early cinema and he created uh, a lot of film technology and, and that kind of thing um so yeah i just think this movie is a great a great mixture of all those things in one lovely package wrapped up with christopher Reynolds bow on top so yeah
0: when did you first see it what was your first encounter with it
1: so i was uh, i was probably a little young to see it in the in the, in the cinema i didn't see it in the cinema um I think I, I so I got into magic when I was about eighteen or nineteen. So most people get into magic when they're when they're kids, um, but when I was about eighteen or nineteen, that's when I really started this this love of, of magic. And at that time, I remember just trying to find everything I could about magicians, whether it was books or TV shows or uh, or movies. And um, at the time, there wasn't too many movies about magic out there. Um, it wasn't very cool when I first started it. It's kind of become a little bit more cool in the past few years, I think. Um, and I think The Prestige has, has a role to play in that. Um, I think it came out around about the same time as, is it The Illusionist? The uh, Yeah, they were, the they were released within weeks of each other. It was very confusing. Yeah, okay. So I'd imagine there was some little rivalry there and, and some, some rumors about why that was the case. Um, but yeah, of the two, uh, Prestige is definitely definitely my favorite, i say. <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's had more staying power. I think the the problem with the Illusionist is that it really does just settle for a a big bait and switch. And yeah, absolutely. There's not. It's funny. I remember at the time thinking that the Prestige was the weaker of the two because I figured it out and it annoyed me. Like it just. Yeah. Well, mostly I figured out. I mean, obviously, what is it? A fifteen-year-old movie. We can spoil it a little bit. Sure, of course i I very quickly figured out, because the movie does sort of lampshade it, that there are two Christian bales that that's his act. And sure. the bigger surprise is obviously what's going on with with Jackman's character. the story of two Alfred Bordens and one Robert Angier, and they have to fight uh, for primacy in the magical world. and And it became very clear to me very quickly that Nolan was hiding the other Borden, that Alfred's brother was being obscured to us. Yeah. And so there's only one answer for that. Plus, they lampshaded early on with the thing about the birds.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the very opening scene actually is the the birds and uh, um, Michael Caine's character Cutter literally almost explains the the plot of the film in 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 the first three minutes. Which, um, I mean, I didn't catch the the plot twist until it until it hit me. Obviously, um, so that plot twist, if you don't see it coming, hits you like a like a ton of bricks. Um, but yeah, and then rewatching it again, uh, I did the other day. It's amazing that there's just so much foreshadowing through, it. and it's almost—I almost feel like—how did I not? How did I not see it coming?
0: Yeah, and it's the best thing about the film now is that it doesn't matter. You can still enjoy it knowing what's going on, which is the thing that I love about nolan's films is that they welcome you into their maybe not the later ones but um they welcome you into their process i can still watch inception and look at the construction of a given scene and it doesn't really like the whole point of that movie is that it doesn't matter what's going on as long as you keep the momentum up
1: Um, yeah i think that's the beauty of chris nolan films is that they are uh they're amazing pieces of 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 filmography and and well created but he keeps him nice and generally speaking accessible for people so anyone can watch it you can watch it loads of times and actually this time that when i watched this film um for for this podcast because i was watching it with a bit more of a critical eye there was things i i I mean i've seen this film probably 10 12 times um, at least and there's things i picked up this time that i'd never picked up before which uh which is a sign of a a a well-layered movie i think yeah well you gotta tell me what what were the what are the things what did you notice yeah. So the, 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 biggest thing, and I actually, in, in all fairness, I've, I've read a little theory about this before I watched the film, but, um, there is a theory that, um, I mean, cause we can talk about the cast in, in a second cause it is an incredible cast as well. Sure. Um, but there's a theory that, um, Nikola Tesla who in the movie is played by uh, David Bowie, which again, is an amazing casting. I mean, yeah. How'd you get David Bowie to play Nikola Tesla? Um, but I, I think actually the, I think it happened because, um, wait, if I
0: remember correctly, Nolan said that no one else could do it, that he was the only, he was only ever considering Bowie because he wanted uh, a delicate ethereality. I think is how he put it. Like somebody, it's mostly because of the man who felt to earth, which was a, a movie that impressed him a lot. He just wanted someone who you would believe was in touch with something that no one else could see.
1: Yeah. He has this like weird charisma and it's like, there's something, He it's like, he knows something that you don't, um, but so he plays Tesla in the movie and then Andy circus plays uh, Tesla's right hand man. I, his name escapes me. I think it's Ali. I think yeah, it's called. I um, and there's a theory that actually Andy circus is Nikola Tesla and that they have this act going on as well. And that, that, that David Bowie is his like his front in the same way as, as each of the magicians at, at various points throughout the movie have uh, a double or someone that stands in for them. Yeah. And if you watch this movie with, with that theory in mind, um, it does hold up and it holds up remarkably well because when anything goes wrong with any of the technology, it's Andy Serkis who fixes it, not Tesla. Andy Serkis um, leads them in uh, out of the room. Um, he explains a lot of the the, the stuff um, and he's the one that, that travels around the the country to go to, to, to the expos and demonstrate the technology. Yeah. So I really I enjoyed that little kind of side, side note. Yeah. Um, well,
0: there's nothing in the movie to disprove it.
1: Yeah. No, absolutely. uh, Yeah. I I mean, it doesn't make too much of a difference to the movie, movie, whether it's true or not, but uh, yeah, a little bit bit of a fun fan theory, I guess.
0: Yeah. Well, and and it stands to reason too that no magician or scientist is ever seen alone, right? They're always, they always have someone to bounce exposition off of or someone to interact with in a given scene. And I I suppose a movie where somebody just sits and tinkers at a bench would be boring, but yeah, I, I you you know it's it's Watson and um
1: and uh Alexander Graham. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's That's a fun one. Canadian people for some reason claim that as a Canadian invention.
0: Oh yeah, it's very important to us, but it it's was sort of, I know it was a shared thing.
1: I know, we'll we'll we'll, we'll share it. It was um,
0: a long distance call. I accept that. <laughs> but but it's also something that is very, very specifically Victorian, right? Like the idea of gentlemen working together in a room to create the miracle, which is what the prestige is all about. It's everyone's immaculately dressed, except for Alfred Borden, who's a little scrappy. Um, his brother seems even worse. Yes. And uh, there's just this constant sense of him needing to prove himself to the point of mania. And that was the other thing that, that worked against it for me the first time through is the idea that to make this work they would have had to be doing this since they were five. And like I the, yeah. the idea that one of them has no life or is completely subject to whatever else is going on in the world. It, it's absolutely illogical, but it's also the kind of Dickensian flourish that you would buy in that era. It works for the time. And it took me a couple of viewings to really get my head around that. It's that, yes, of course it wouldn't work now, but a hundred odd years ago, you could probably, at least in a narrative, you could sell that. You could make somebody accept this.
1: Yeah and I mean in the history of magic as well I mean the the the, the, the whole movie stands up to to the the, the kind of history and the the how, how things were actually done um back then and um there's some incredible stories in the history of magic which kind of are are true stories about the lengths that people go to 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 make things happen and and make, make magic tricks real and 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 amazing um and uh, you know, there's people who lived whole fake lives as as, as different different races. Um, actually, um, in order to to make themselves seem more mysterious and like they had these kind of powers back then, um, so it really is a, a good a good reflection of of the history of magic. And I think that theme in the in the movie there about how far will someone go to 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 make something work is a is, is a really fun one for me because as a professional magician, I know like. Never underestimate a magician the length, <laughs> I've known people that w- that will go to a venue for that they're doing a show at like a week before they'll stick something to the roof as like a guest and then they've planned a week in advance just so they can have that one moment of, of of magic where like the playing card appears on the roof or something um so yeah i mean it's 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 a fun one for me as well, definitely
0: yeah there's that theater kid energy right where no matter what it is, it's worth it if it works
1: yeah absolutely um yeah, I mean, it's just a movie that, that, that sparks the, the inner child in me from, from start to finish. And yeah. Uh, yeah, very relatable for a magician.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I again, I, I hesitate to spoil the ending of the film, even though it's fairly well-known, but it is an absolutely horrific image that everyone is fine with. I mean, I remember the audience applauding and it's like, no, guys, no, that's horrible. He's doing this yeah. to himself over and over and over again. Yeah, the final frame of the film is is kind of harrowing. Yeah, yeah. but of course that's, the beauty of of Nolan. Like he always knows how to go out. He always leaves you on a high, no matter what you're seeing. And yeah, you, you have the payoff to the entire end of your story, which is that he is a pretender. He's perceived as somebody who just, you know, takes credit for looking the part rather than actually performing and putting the work in. But of course, he's doing far more to himself than anyone else can realize.
1: Yeah, and I think, I mean... It- it's really. It seems like it comes from a place of kind of selfishness within them as well. It's not like they they actually don't care. I think in the movie what the audience thinks, which is what you you'd think that would be the end goal of any performer is to 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 amaze the audience. But because of this this rivalry and, and the length they go to, it seems by the end of it they don't they don't actually really care what people think of the show. It's just what people think of him.
0: Angier is actually going to greater lengths than Borden ultimately because, you know. Borden just does it once. Ultimately, you can only. Do, it's the it's the old. It's a Warner Brothers cartoon trick, right? Like the the biggest magical absolutely. explosion and and the punchline is, but I can only do it once. And Angier found yeah, a way around absolutely. it.
1: I mean, the the two characters of uh, uh, um, Angier and Borden really embody those two kind of sides of of performing. I think you've got the the person that puts in all the work and 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 the effort, um, but. But maybe doesn't have that stage presence and that 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 flamboyance, as you say. And then you've got um, Jackman's character, who is until towards the end of the film doesn't work as hard or 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 as fast, but has that uh, that ability to to entertain. Um, and yeah, I guess he gives up a bit of that uh, that showmanship for for method by the end of it. And uh, yeah, it gets a little yeah. dark towards the end as well, right?
0: Oh, it absolutely gets dark. But it's an, a really fascinating commentary now to me on, 15 years later on where those actors ended up because Bale embraces his self-series. I've met him. I've met them both over the years. Bale is one of those guys who is absolutely open to talk about stuff unless he thinks you're not taking him seriously and then he gets okay. very, very quickly offended. Mm. But, you know, the whole thing with the eyeline and the cinematographer. Yeah, um yeah, that's kind of why he's perfect for Borden. And Jackman is a song and dance man. Like, Jackman is just a born crowd pleaser. And he's not, it's not that he's superficial, but he can turn on a superficiality. And, and Bale just doesn't have that. It comes out as sarcastic. And so now watching movies just like, no, those guys are perfectly cast. And Nolan saw something in each of them at that point in their careers that would work.
1: Yeah, it's funny you say that. Because as you say, yeah, Christian Bale has... Has a lot of the same characteristics, and then you look at Jackman now and like the Greater Showman a few years ago. Yeah, and um, there's a few scenes within the Prestige which really are the same sort of imagery of of the Greater Showman. Um, you know, on stage with the arms kind of spread. Um, oh yeah. So yeah, I think I do. I do agree. I think they're they're perfectly cast for the roles, and and the whole cast is. Uh, um. Uh, not uh, way better than I remember it being from the last time I watched it. I kept seeing people that was like, oh, I didn't know that like Scarlett Johansson was in this and, and David Bowie. Yeah. Um, Rebecca and Hall. All the way to Ricky and um, Rebecca Hall, yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, so Ricky J, the, the, yeah. the magician they both work for at the beginning of the film, he's uh, a real-life magician. He passed away a few years ago, but a uh, magician and actor, so...
0: Oh, yeah, no, getting him was like a benediction, I think, for anybody working yeah. in, this, in this genre.
1: Yeah, it's, it's a really nice... Kind of cameo for me to see because i think when i probably last saw the film i wouldn't have been as familiar with ricky J as certainly not as a magician maybe more more so as an actor um but seeing him in the movie it's just like oh my goodness there's ricky J, an actual actual magician in there as well um it's a little a little meta i guess yeah i, mean, oh, I, think, I think the whole so. film's quite meta actually
0: i think so yeah it's a nod towards everything that's going on to the the sense of um you know, just opening with with Kane's voice asking us if we're watching closely and then proceeding to dazzle the camera with everything he can throw at it because he wants us not to watch that closely. It's it's actually, it's not, I mean, sorry, I was going to say it's one of Nolan's most complicated films. It's not because once you factor in the, the Batman sequels, those things are gargantuan machines or Tenet oh, yeah. where he's just he's creating new technology in order to pull off the stuff he wants to do. But the prestige is the one that keeps talking over itself that it's, I think trying to distract the audience with the dialogue and the personal situations, even though ultimately it's a really straight line narratively. It's um, I don't know if it was his first film where he didn't play with time, but it's certainly one of the few where it just progresses in a straight line.
1: One of my, one of my favorite films, uh, uh, at all is, is memento another yeah. obviously chris film and, and that is that is massively plays with time the, the scenes alternate and it, they meet in the middle and i just i love that that concept um but but i think i think he it's it's fairly linear in the prestige but there is moments where they jump back into into memories and back and forwards and he and he, he does that quite unapologetically in this as well i don't think he ever uses like there's no like dream sequence kind of fade out it's just kind of straight cuts mm-hmm. um which let's you kind of piece it together yourself i think it lets you work out the puzzle uh yourself rather than just being being handed to you on a on a plate um which i think is one of the other things that people love about chris nolan movies generally speaking is that they they, they get to work out it themselves it's not just just handed to them and you have to you, you have to watch it you have to engage with it and you have to uh, kind of get involved with the the movie as well um and yeah he he sort of like you know he reveals Information when, when when he needs to, and um, it's I think it's an interesting progression from, from Memento, which I think was the first of of the kind of these types of films that he's made. Then uh, this, and then Inception came came afterwards, um, and yeah, similar kind of themes there in the way that he he reveals the story, I think, and the way that he layers things. And I just that's 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 what I'm all about. Um, and I also think actually the the, the structure of of the Prestige it's i think it's, lo- it's been compared loads of times to uh the same structure as as any uh movie um mm. sorry the structure of, of a magic trick is the same yes. as the structure of the movie where he talks about it as the uh the pledge the turn and the and the prestige um being sort of like the the setup the conflict and then the the resolution um so that's, that's that comparison has been been made quite a lot but um I think the way that the plot twist happens as well is is really comparable to to the way that, that us magicians could construct magic tricks. um You know, he he relies on your assumptions the whole way through. Like you yeah. assume that maybe there's the only one Christian Bale because you have no reason to suspect otherwise. You assume uh, a whole a whole bunch of things along the way, and then he uses those assumptions you've made yourself to then can hit you hit you with a plot twist which is which is exactly how, how i would construct a, a magic trick from from scratch um yeah i think it's amazing in that sense
0: yeah i'm thinking now about about that about the process of building a trick so what what is that process for you for you specifically i mean how do you decide where you're going or is the flourish is the prestige the thing that you start with like
1: what is you absolutely do. yeah so that's that's the way that i do I, I i you start with what do i want to achieve if if if, if magic really existed what would sure. i do and maybe it's you make someone appear or you make something disappear or whatever the trick is so you start off with that concept and then you kind of work backwards so you you work out um um, I mean, it's also side note that the the pledge, turn, and prestige are not are not terms that are used within magic uh, at all. They may have been back then. I actually don't know. I maybe should have should have googled it. But, um, <laughs> oh, right. but they, uh, they 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 don't they're. I'm fairly certain kind of fabrications um, for this for this film, but uh, or for the, from the book I think they got adapted from. I'm sure. Um but yeah you start with the the prestige the ending and then you work backwards and you try to to work out how you could do it and then you work out a bunch of a bunch of methods um and actually in illusionarium we re- we reference this this process and we call it the the magic maze and the idea is that the center of the maze is the uh the the effect the thing that you want to achieve the the secret if if you will um and your audience are walking around the, the maze and they're trying to get to the middle to that, to that secret, the thing that's guarded. Um, and it's a magician's job to close all the doors on the way. So if, if you think of how to make something float, for example, then someone might think, Oh, there's a wire that, that does it. So the magician has to prove there's not, there's not a wire. You close that, that Avenue and then they go, Oh, maybe it's, I don't know, like magnets or something. So you have to prove that, that there's nothing attached to it. Um, and, yeah, so that's, that's sort of the, the, the process we go through, it's, uh, it's challenging and fun and frustrating, and uh, but when you get there eventually it's one of the most satisfying things in the world um, to be able to say you kind of managed to pull that off.
0: I'm just trying so hard not to ask questions about the process of creating things because I know that would ruin it and I don't want to ruin things for people.
1: No, I mean, hey, a lot of us built on, uh, based on uh, like our, like our knowledge and experience. So you, you learn tricks that other people have done and, and techniques. And, um, after a few years of, of learning magic, you really learn a way of thinking that is, I I think is different to, to most people, um, you learn how to play with people's assumptions and how to get around them as well. And and um, I mean, I don't love this term, but a lot of people refer to it as uh, to it as kind of hacking hacking your brain or hacking mm. the human brain because you're finding the shortcuts and the ways around the the, the the way that you believe the believe the world works. And um, and yeah, and I guess it's interesting that you mentioned earlier uh, the science and magic. Um, Kind of pairing within this movie because it's again something that, that, that I'm close to. I'm, I love science, I've got a degree in, in engineering. Um, so science and magic have always been really, really closely tied in terms of how to make things work. Um, really famous quote in magic that gets used by every magician in, in the world at some point from uh, Arthur C. Clarke, who said that any sufficiently advanced technology. Would be indistinguishable from magic um so anything that that we can't explain we just say it's magic right and that's how it's been in 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 all all of history um and yeah i guess that that links back to segues nicely into the film well yeah
0: i mean tesla is i think shorthand for the guy who was streets ahead of everybody else just you know a universe ahead of everyone else and the um there's another film called the current war which involves tesla Fairly recently, uh, and is not nearly as satisfying um, because it's just about the fight over AC and DC, basically, and how George Westinghouse and Thomas Edison were at odds over that. And when Tesla is invoked, it's just one of those things where, oh, that guy's weird. Like he he doesn't fit into science as far as the movie is concerned. It can't even quantify him. But Nolan is using him as a signifier of that of the Clark. Uh, motto that the idea that no, no, he he can explain everything. We just can't understand it. Yeah, and the beauty of magic is that we want not to understand it. That's that's the thing that Nolan is interacting with in the script. the The basic human need to be staggered that we want yeah. to be surprised. It's why things go viral. It's why. Rumors become fact over time. It's the the birth of urban legends. Some part of us still wants to believe that there are things that happen because we don't understand them. And there's a group of people who want that to prove, you know, a a structure to the universe that allows these things to happen. And if you understand, how do they put it in Dr. Strange? It's a great line. If you know the source code, you can manipulate reality around you. Um, And then there are those of us who are just like, oh, wow, that's really skillful that you pulled that off and I don't know how you did it, but I assume you know. So I'm not saying you must be magic. I'm saying you must be really talented. And the prestige kind of walks the line back and forth between the two
1: definitely and i think well, on that like every time you hear magic and and, and uh, cinema compared um in terms of the way that it makes you feel i've, I've heard the terms the, the cinema in cinema you have the willing suspension of disbelief so you sit there in the cinema you know it's a you know it's a show you know that it's a, a movie and it's special effects and everything but you still go along with the ride you're not sitting there going uh iron man can't actually fly um right. But with magic we employ the um unwilling suspension of disbelief um yeah because you sit down at the show and you, you still know it's a show but you you can see the see it right there with your own two eyes and we're explaining it or you think we're explaining it in full um and it still it still happens the way it does um and yeah i think throughout this movie there's really that uh that, that feeling, and there's a, there's a really subtle line at towards the towards the maybe like the, th- the third act of the movie, um, and it's it's when the it's when Michael Caine I think and um, Hugh Jackman are talking to the um, the theater owner, and they show him the the trick Nikola Tesla's trick for the first time, and he says something like, "You you need to dress up a little bit, or else people will be." Like scared, They'll, like I can't remember the exact line. But it's basically, he's, he kind of hints at the fact that he knows that it's real and that it's science, but other people aren't ready for it almost. And yeah, I liked, I enjoyed that little line.
0: Yeah, disguise the truth just enough that it isn't terrifying. Exactly, exactly.
1: Yeah. just crying and screaming if you knew what was actually happening.
0: Yeah, well, th- and, th- and that goes to the concept of performance, right? And and to be a public performer of magic, I mean, what do you do? What's your What's your preferred mode of presentation
1: yeah so my, uh, my my background is uh generally speaking i uh back home i used to perform what's called mentalism which is uh mm-hmm. it's also known as psychological mind reading so you basically use uh, psychology statistics a whole bunch of other things to make it seem like you can can read people's minds um now i kind of cornered myself in that little area because if you if you mix that that with traditional magic um you it it loses credibility, right? If you, if you say you can read someone's mind and then you do, and then you show them a card trick, then they just go, okay, well, the other thing was a trick and it is a trick, but I don't want it to feel like a trick. Um, excuse me. that being said, um, I have a, a fairly large breadth of knowledge in, in all areas of magic, um, because I just love it. I don't really perform all areas of magic, but that's what led me to, to this job here in Illusionarium because we have so much, like we have every type of magic here from massive Las Vegas stage illusions type things. We have close up magic. We have classical magic. Um, I think the one thing we are missing is, is mind reading funnily enough. Um, <laughs> but unfortunately with, with, with COVID, it's really difficult to, to present things like that because you need people to be close.
0: Oh, um, sure, facial cues alone, uh, right?
1: Yeah, I mean that's been one of the biggest challenges with this whole project. Actually, is is working out how to the whole thing's been designed around uh, COVID and making it COVID safe. So um, it's been very difficult to present magic. Cause when we first were going to open, we weren't even allowed to speak on stage, and so the the whole thing is done to a soundtrack with voiceovers, and the performers still wear masks and don't don't open their mouths once, um, which is a, an amazing challenge. But uh, but yeah
0: yeah i mean if it works it'd be amazing i i can actually see that being even more sort of eerie and disturbing if things are happening uh at a remove that way
1: yeah definitely and it, it's it's let us show people magic so up close it's like you see some stuff here like i i'm still amazed by it that you never see probably never you'd, you'd struggle to see in a theater but here you can see it like feet away like four well six feet <laughs> six feet away um but yeah, and and funnily enough, there's a few things that are in the prestige that we have uh, we have here. I'm actually I'm not really supposed to talk about it, but um yeah, so it's nice to see it was funny to see that in cinema and then come into work today and see it in real life. Um and we present it slightly differently. Um but yeah. Oh now I really want to know. Yeah. Well let's just say it involves uh, a lot of water. Okay. Uh, that, that if you've seen the prestige, then you know what's up. Um, but yeah, well, that's fascinating. the um the other thing about
0: the prestige, I think that that distinguishes it from other magic films, not just the illusionist but that little wave that was happening, things like now you see me, where it it takes the work absolutely seriously while still letting us enjoy the theatricality of it. um so much of. Now you see me is about people tricking each other from scene to scene to scene. And it just, it's, it's not a bad thing, but there's not a lot of dramatic momentum. And so much of the illusionist is about Edward Norton staring very intently at things and moving his fingers just a tiny bit. So you feel that he's conjuring and it's exhausting. But the prestige finds a way to frame a film where very little actually happens as a swift involving adventure. I mean, it, it does have that that vaguely um exotic victorian aspect to it that is always so hard to capture on film
1: yeah a hundred percent i think um i mean now you see me as is, is not a bad film at all I, mm. I really enjoy it it does a lot for it did a lot for magic when it came out but i agree it's just it's just just it's a little bit too much i think at times and the illusionist maybe not enough and the prestige does fit like fits Quite in the middle of the two, I think, and it and it hits you with enough um kind of conflict and the whole thing is a, a, it's a just a big fight between two or two or three magicians. Um but yeah. um well, yes, and I think what was, the, what was the second part of that?
0: Oh, just, it's got that Victorian excitement, you know, like the sense of, the sense that you're watching something, and we, we talked about this earlier in the podcast, but the sense that you're watching something that is just potentially supernatural, just a little bit magical, that it's just, just beyond the veil of understanding, which was that whole thing that was going on with Conan Doyle at the time, where only one person can see the truth, and it wasn't just in his home stuff, he was interested in debunking mysticism and, and, and the supernatural where he could. And I think part of that fascination comes from the fact that he really wanted to be unable to debunk something. We're all chasing that same thing, the, the impossible.
1: Oh, that, I mean, that's why. That's why I became a magician, right? I've got this logical mind as an engineer, and and I saw a magic trick, and I just I had to know how it worked. <laughs> and then you learn loads. And and the unfortunate thing for magicians is that the more you learn, the the less often you can be amazed because you, you you know how it's done. So one of one of the most amazing feelings in the world for me is is to be truly fooled by a by a magic trick. I, like I, if I if I, if I see something I don't know how it's done, I never want to know how it's done anymore. <laughs> don't tell me I'll beg you, but don't, don't tell me under any circumstances. And, um, and yeah, the time setting of the prestige that, that theme was, was massively, um, was relevant because you had a massive amount of spiritualism back then and people kind of masquerading as having these spiritual abilities and and powers. Um, and, and I think again, linking back to the science and magic thing, a big part of that is because there was so much technological advancement around that time that, um, there was almost, I think there's a line in the film that that actually um, says this, where they say basically that people, people weren't ready for it. Things were moving too fast. Mm -hmm. And so when you saw something amazing and new, like a light bulb for the first time, um, they're, they're a wizard. They're not a, they're not a scientist. They're a wizard. Um, And I actually, no, I actually think Michael Caine says that in the film as well. He says, oh no, this, this trick wasn't made by a magician. This was made by a real wizard or something like that. Um, yeah, and again, if you want someone to deliver that line, Michael Caine is your guy. He's just- oh, of he's, course. it, it sounds like I'm working a kid's party. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, it's just, it's, his, it's that weird little gravitas, the thing he does with his voice that no other human being can do. He can just drop it down like a quarter octave mm-hmm. and all of a sudden it's the most grave and important thing he's ever said. It's the, that's a magic trick in itself. And I think that's the other thing too that I like about The Prestige. You get to watch all the actors go through their boxes and show you what they can do.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, it's. I think the casting in it is next to impeccable. Um, I, I couldn't couldn't see it, it being done by by anyone else. And uh, and yeah, Michael Caine. I mean, is there a bad Michael Caine film, or is there a bad movie with Michael Caine in it?
0: There are bad movies with Michael Caine in them, but Michael Caine is never bad in them. Okay, that's okay. the thing to remember. <laughs> okay, I've seen The Swarm. Trust me
1: on this. It okay, happened. Not. Jaws: The Revenge. Dear God. Jaws the Revenge, I didn't even know that existed.
0: Oh, Jaws the Revenge, the only fun story that came out of Jaws the Revenge is that um, he was not able to attend the Oscars the year he won for Hannah and Her Sisters because he was shooting Jaws the Revenge. And there's one scene in the film where he's just whacking this big fake shark. And I keep thinking, that's the next day. Like that's the day
1: <laughs> he found out he won and then he realized what project he was on. And he was
0: he's like, venting. Yeah. This, like this one moment, although he's, he's also very famously said he's, he's never seen the film, but he has seen the house it paid for.
1: Yeah. Okay. Great. So
0: again, you know, when you're Michael Caine, you can, you
1: can do stuff like that. Yeah, of course.
0: But, uh, uh, but Piper Parabo and and Rebecca Hall and Scarlett Johansson, you know, Nolan's not always great with women's roles um for for most of his bigger pictures but I think there is definitely a sense of what's being lost in those performances that the chance for relationships is being pushed aside or that you know human connection is being overlooked by our heroes in order to pursue their dreams and in those three performances maybe not so much parable because she gets to have a little more fun but in Holland Johansson we really do see that there's a that there's an empathy there for the people who are being hurt by this.
1: Oh, 100%. You, you really get behind the, uh, the the female characters in this and you, you really care about them by, by the end of it, and you can really empathise with their, their their points of view and um, especially Hall's character, I think, when she keeps saying things like, oh, today you love me or today you don't. There's right. this, kind of like a especially when you know the plot twist, there's a little bit of like, a little bit of kind of heartache in there because you're like, oh, like uh, and you see in Christian Bale as well that his reaction to when, when she says that he he acts it amazingly. He kind of depending on which which Christian Bale is right. reacts, uh, reacts kind of accordingly. Um, and actually, I did, I did when I was watching it. I was interested in the uh, the, the female roles because, I, yeah, I know Nolan's not as as you said, not um, not renowned for for his his casting of female roles. Um, and again, in this, they are very much supporting characters. But it was an unfortunate fact of the time, and unfortunately, still is today um, a fact that that that's how traditional magic was was presented you know it was the the assistant got in the box and it was always mm-hmm. a, a a slim attractive woman which was um back then for methodical purposes more than anything else um the theory being that that uh women tend to be smaller and can get into smaller spaces um and are were used as, as misdirection yeah um thankfully today we uh the magic world in the past, I would say five years, we're, we're still running, we're still a bit behind the rest of the world, unfortunately, but we're really, uh, we're really trying to, to, uh, to smash that, um, stereotype, um, and, and, and get rid of it completely. And we have, um, I mean, here, for example, we have a team of, I think our, 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 our best guess, I would say 45% of the, the cast here are, uh, are, are female magicians mm-hmm. and female performers. and And that's amazing because yeah. I mean, I want to inspire everyone to get to to get into magic and pick up a deck of cards. Um but Yeah, something the film doesn't do amazingly well. Um but it is it does reflect the the time period. So I think it can be forgiven.
0: You know, unfortunately the prestige is about male ego, so it has to be two men at war. I mean, everyone around them is collateral damage, which is why you cast strong actresses to balance that. But they have to be it has to be between the two or three men who are competing with one another, because that's how society viewed those opportunities at the time.
1: Yeah. No, it's, um, and yeah, as you say, the whole film is based around that, that battle of, of ego. And, um, Um, and yeah, I I agree. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't know what else I was going for there, but uh, but yeah, Johansson is there to puncture it more than anything else. And I think she does that very well. And Hall is there to show us the psychological toll and she does that very well
1: yeah i mean so the, like johansson leaves in the end and the whole uh spoilers she she dies as well mm-hmm. um and yeah i guess it's they i think they do a great job of really um allowing the audience to feel that uh that the the, the weight of the decisions that these these male characters have made and the the lens have gone for their arts and it's not it doesn't just affect them but it affects everyone around them um sometimes irreversibly.
0: Um, Yeah. I mean, it's possible that Nolan is limited in the ways he can write women, but I don't think he's as dismissive of them as his, his reputation these days. And the prestige is a pretty good argument for look, no, he thinks this stuff through. It's just, it's like arguing that Michael Mann doesn't write roles for women who, which, you know, that's true because he doesn't, he like actively excludes them. But they're the female characters of the prestige are as involved as it's possible for them to be given the setup so yeah yeah, i I mean again this is two white guys talking about it right now but it seems to build a world that makes sense
1: yeah i think the world makes 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 uh, sense for the time period especially and um and is although it's a little bit kind of otherworldly at times especially with with the tesla stuff it's it's very much grounded in in reality um from start to finish I think and there's there's loads of things within within the film that that that, that keep it nice and grounded I think because I think there's a there, there could have been a danger with this film for it to become a little um like a little too much and and a little unbelievable and I think a really good job was done of just making sure that the unbelievable stuff and the stuff that, where you have to sort of willingly suspend your disbelief to 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 get on board with is kept quite slim and quite minimal um because otherwise if you get too too magic-y i think because because ultimately it's not a film about wizards or or it's not a harry potter film it's a film about people who use normal methods that every human being can can do to to perform magic on on stage um, so i think they they ground it really well The 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 one that kind of stands out to me is the the court scenes and obviously the whole thing is narrated from uh, from court um and that's like very rem- reminiscent of of uh of real life magicians as well you know we struggle with with, with legal proceedings around our, our our craft, our art, because it's all about secrets, and as soon as you go to court, you have to tell them everything in order to prove stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and there was, you know, Copperfield a few years ago was was taken to court by uh, an audience member for for an injury, and it resulted in him having to reveal a massive portion of his show to the public. Um, T- Teller from Penn & Teller took another magician to, to court over one of his uh, acts, which another magician stole, basically. And again, had to reveal how, how that worked. Um, you know, magicians can't have patents. We can't trademark things because in order to, to get all of these things you have to reveal, you have to write down how, how it works. Um so there's there's loads of scenes within the movie that really do do kind of ground it, uh ground it in reality. And I think that is um I think it's really important for, for a movie like this.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's not about magic in, in terms of the occult or the supernatural. It is Like the genius of it is that it's a science fiction film, but you can never tell anybody that the audience is implicated in that as well. If you go out and start telling people what it is, it's less good. Like you just don't want to ruin the experience for people.
1: No, hundred percent. I mean, as I say, I didn't, I didn't see the the plot twist coming. So (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah, it it hit me like a, like a brick wall. Um, Yeah. That's good. The trick worked. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess that's, that's the magic of it. Right. And I think, The whole thing feels like a a one big, big magic trick from start to finish. Um, And yeah, it worked. It works on me, filled me.
0: That's great. Uh, It's kind of weird because we've sort of discussed it already, but is there anything of the prestige that made it into the Illusionarium? And are you in fact at liberty to talk about that if there's such a thing?
1: Yeah, so they're... Um, Just in terms of inspiration more than anything else. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think so. So we, uh, Illusionarium, we have um, a, a bunch of rooms that takes you through the history of magic right from the the kind of first uh, known magic venue, the Palais Royal in, in Paris, France. Um, and then it takes you all up all the way up to the future and of magic. And within that, um, it's it was remarkable actually watching this film back um, after having helped produce this, this project because... At every single point in, in Illusionarium, there is massive kind of references to stuff that is discussed within uh, within the Prestige. the uh, The second room is is modeled after the Egyptian Hall, which was known as England's home of uh, of mystery. So it's in, it was in London, England, in the eighteen uh, hundreds, and that's like a very much a Victorian magician. So the magician that performs in there is in a top hat and tails. It's all very kind of classical uh, magic. Um, we have a, a room that is is a secret technically um mm-hmm. but uh that uh, has a, a key piece of apparatus from the uh from the the prestige in it and you get to, to see that live um there is uh then our final room is called evolution and it's all about the the present day up to the future of magic and that's all about the, the marrying of magic and technology and how uh how we we use like cutting edge laser technology and um, we have like 180 degree uh led screens and the whole act from start to finish really fuses magic and, and, and technology together and there's parts of it which kind of ask you to kind of decide where on the the spectrum between magic and, and, and technology the trick actually actually lies so yeah the themes in the and the prestige are all the way through illusionarium it's it's it was actually Excuse me, kind of remarkable. Um, how much so? Hmm. I guess
0: it's just the stuff that works, right? It doesn't go away.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's the stuff, and it's and it's the the history. It's the it's the truth at the end of the day. Um, I can't. I think it's is it Carl Germain once said that a magician is actually the only honest profession because a magician will tell you that he's going to lie to you, and then he does. Um, but <laughs> yeah, people love to hear 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 the history of it, and they love to hear the the truth as well. Um, and we. We, we do tell the truth, but we, we play with it a little bit, you know. Um, we embellish it, let's say, with a bit of magic.
0: I like that. Uh, last question. Are you more of an Angier or a Borden? Oh,
1: I would say that I, I'm maybe a little bit more of an Angier. I'm the, I'm more of a thinker, I think. I'm not a natural born performer. I had to work hard to 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 get up on a stage and, and be able to, to do it. Um it didn't come naturally to me at all. But the logical thinking and the, the the kind of hard work and the finding out how to do things, that that did come quite naturally to me. So I'd say more of a um more of a an Angiers. Yeah. That's Bale, right? Angiers is Bale's character.
0: No, he's um Borden is Bale. Oh.
1: Uh he's Jackman. Oh well the, the, re, re, strike that, reverse it. Uh, <laughs> borden yeah of course sorry that's okay but borden is so humorless that i don't
0: see him in you like it's just like you're you're, you're already much more lighter and natural
1: yeah i mean Naturally. i think the reality of, of of performing and performing magic is that if you want to be to be good at it there is two sides of there, there is the the borden side and the algier side that kind of have to come come together unless someone else makes your tricks for you which is, is the case for some magicians they have mm-hmm. like uh, I think in they have a, a cutter, a Michael Caine, uh, and I think in the movie they call him the, the engineer. Um, um, but largely, magicians come up with their own tricks, and they maybe have a small creative team that help. Um, but you really need to to be able to do both to be a performing magician. Um, and you you get you get magicians that are just that they just just make tricks and create tricks for other people. Um, but I, I I'm. I'm not one of those i'm more of a performer for sure um but, but yeah but as i say it didn't come naturally to me you know i uh, i was never that confident in high school i was never into theater or anything like that um i was always massively into into movies and into cinema um but i, I couldn't get up in front of a crowd of people and, and speak um so i really forced myself into this personality i think which is interesting in itself because i guess there's a little bit of um not falsity to it because it's you know it's 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 real this is this is me but it's not me naturally and i guess there's a little bit of magic to that as well a little bit of I'm not like deception something a little bit behind the the curtain when it comes to my uh my ability to to perform as well um, yeah
0: well i mean i think everybody's stage persona is an enhancement in some way i've never met anyone oh, who's yeah. exactly the same as they are
1: yeah and you i guess you see that in, in this, this film as a great example where they're all, um, they're all playing a part, right, at all times. doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether they're on stage or they're at home with their, their, their partners and their kids. Um, every character in this is, or every magician character in this, is always playing a role. Um, and there's some, there's some truth to, to that when it comes to, to me as a person as well, definitely. Um, I'll, happily, I'll happily admit that, that um, but I'll deny it if you ask me in person.
0: My thanks to Cameron Gibson, whose work will be on display, from an appropriate distance, at Jamie Allen's Illusionarium at the Toronto Star Building as of this Thursday, July 29th. You can book tickets at illusionarium.ca. Thanks also to Suzanne Sheridan. She knows what she did. You can find Cameron on Twitter at cgibsonirl, all one word, and you can find The Prestige on 4K, Blu-ray, and DVD from Buena Festa Home Entertainment. It's also available on Apple TV and Google Play, and streaming in 4K on Disney+. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at NowToronto.com where I'm hosting a bunch of podcasts these days and writing the weekly Now streaming newsletter to which you can subscribe at NowToronto.Substack.com and you can find this podcast on Twitter at Semcast S-E-M-Cast and on the web at SomeoneElsesMovie.com Our theme song is by the last year if you like it or the show, please say so leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or wherever you've been enjoying us. every little bit helps, it truly does and check out the other shows on the Frequency Podcast Network while you're there, like The Reheat, a brand new series in which Sadaf Hassan, who I work with it now, and Sarah Sahagian revisit the pop culture stories of the early 2000s from a present-day perspective. It's fun! Stay home, watch movies, wear a mask if you go out, get your shot if you can. And really, thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.